right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Happy Valentine's Day with Adam Drovetta. I am Derek Johnson, and it was Super Bowl Sunday yesterday. You know, a lot of people will say, why do we not get the day off after Super Bowl Sunday? And I, you know, I, I tend to agree. Everybody's up late. They're eating. They're we drinking. would not be getting the day off after any. No, anyway. no. But here's my counter to that. And, and this is something that this is not my idea. This actually came from my wife. She asked me the question a few weeks ago. And I really didn't have an answer. Um, why don't they just play the Super Bowl on Saturday? I just and then think problem the, solved. I just think you always associate NFL football with. I guess, Sunday. but like the divisional round, wild card round, yeah, it's they not have Saturday games. I just think it's, it's not like so, there's anything else going on. It's so associated with Sunday. It, it like they, there's no like like there's no um, reason that you can break down and say this 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 why logistically they do it. But I just think it's something like we've talked about, like you mentioned, like I, I said how last year I really didn't like the Sweet 16 on mm-hmm. Saturday and Sunday last year. And I can't give a legitimate like breakdown of why I just like it better yeah. on Thursday and Friday nights. And I think with this, it's just they can't they can't really give like this breakdown. It's just that's how they do it. It's Sunday. NFL is played on a Sunday. Yeah, so I mean- it, it, they could do it on a Saturday, but. I think it would be. I think it's one of those things where people would really be against it, but can't quite put their finger on why. They would just be like, "I don't know, man," because it's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know. Uh, that's a good illustration of me with the score bug last night. I I don't really know why I didn't love it. I know a lot of people did. I, I don't really care. It's not a big deal. But it was hard for me personally watching that game last night. Um, that was you know it was, it was a good finish. Everything relatively boring game. Boring game. Um, boring game neither the end. team really. Like, neither team really stepped up to a point where you left feeling like definitively those were the best teams. Not that they weren't. Like, at the end of the day, the Rams won the Super Bowl. You can't take that away from them. And, you know, uh, I'm not arguing with that. But it's hard not to watch that game and not think that if the Chiefs just get the field goal at the end of the first half there, that the Chiefs aren't having another Super Bowl parade here. I I agree 100%. But I I said this this after the conference championship games— um, I I really believe one. I I kind of think the Bills, maybe the Packers. If there was an elite team in the NFL this year, I think it probably was one of those two. But ultimately, I think this was a year where there just was not an elite team in the NFL. Um, kind of like when the Steelers won there, when um, Roethlisberger won his first Super Bowl, and they were like a six seed, mm-hmm. and they beat the top seeded. Um, uh, uh, who'd they beat? Oh, the the Seahawks, who were the one right, seed yeah. out of the NFC. 
you know, I just I don't rem- I don't really really remember an elite team in the NFL that year, and I think this is just one of those years. Like to compare it to Ken Palm for people who listen to Ken Palm, like plus thirty is a really good Ken Palm number, and so you, but you're going to get years in college basketball and Ken Palm where there's only one team who's at plus thirty or above, and then you're going to get other years in Ken Palm where like the top four teams are all plus thirty or above. And so that would be an example of a year where there are multiple really high-level elite, elite teams. At least um, uh, from an analytical standpoint, there are multiple elite teams. And this year, I'm not even sure I would say there was one true elite team in the NFL. Um, maybe the Packers, because they really kind of, but even they got you know rolled in Week One, and of course you know they didn't finish it in the playoffs. So I, I think this was a year where. Um, there just wasn't a great team. Yeah, so we'll have more uh, reaction and, and talk about the Super Bowl coming up later in the show, but I do want to start out here, uh, at least after mentioning that, recapping the KU-Oklahoma game on Saturday. KU tried their darndest to give that one away, and uh, I think the concerns about this team, they did win the game, and that was the most important thing, without a doubt, and and we'll get into some of the big positives in a second here, but... um. I think still a ton of concerns about this team closing down the stretch. We've brought this up before. The Dayton game where you were up, I think, 15 at the end of the half, something like that. Uh, The Texas game, just the game before this, the Iowa State game at home, you were up eight with five, six minutes to go. Oklahoma on the road. Oklahoma on the road. There are plenty of examples. Oklahoma State, who they're playing tonight, which we'll get to that later, um, the game in Stillwater, they still ended up winning by double digits. But if you remember, that was a game where it was like, oh, they're going away with this one. And then they had all those turnover issues. That a stretch of where they missed 20 straight yeah. shots in the first half. So there are... And then, yeah, wait, you, you're you talking about the yeah, game. The end, That's I'm right. just talking when, about like Yeah, when Oklahoma out. State started yeah. pressing. You're right. They had turnovers. Just closing games have not been great for this team a, a lot of times. They the Texas turnover? Tech game. You're up 70 to 58 with like yeah. six minutes left. It has to go it to double to overtime. Double overtime. Didn't it go? Um, wasn't it a turnover this one that really got things going with KU up six or seven? Wasn't it Dewan Harris turnover? I know there that was. really started things rolling for Oklahoma. Well, there. Maybe. I, I just remember the turnover at the end when KU was up 70 67. They throw it to the corner with Dewan. He loses it. They get the layup. Now it's 70 Oh Yeah, well, it wasn't on Dewan, but the, the, mm-hmm. the, bucket, uh, the, the box score gave that one to Dewan. But yes, it wasn't completely Dewan's fault. But yeah, they canned a three to make it, to get it to 66, or 67, because it was 70 to 64, wasn't it? Yeah. Canned a three to get it to 67. Yeah, it was and Goldwire, then, who yeah. in six years of college basketball had had <laughs> one 15-point game, and he put it in for 20, and he hits a shot from, like, the half-court logo. And then, and then so which, to be fair, that half-court logo is almost stretched into the <laughs> yeah. seats right now. Um, but, yeah, he... And then they, you know, they get that steal, and all of a sudden it's a one point game, and they're, it's scary anyway. Because once again, man, free throws. Yeah, Jalen. I mean, did you I, refresh my man? I know they were in double bonus. Did Jalen? Well, Jalen had the end there. He went one I know, of two. But which one did he miss? Because they were in the double bonus, but I think he it, missed the first one. So if it was a one and one, they would have only been up one yeah. with OU having the ball late. Yeah, and they missed a one and one earlier. I mean, I, I know Jesse pointed this out. He actually found that over the last five minutes of the game. Before this game, KU had shot like 79% or something on free throws, which is very good. It's just at some of these most clutch games, 
they have faltered or at certain times, like the Dayton game, they went, I think, 9 of 20 at the foul line overall. The Texas game, he missed so many free throws. I, I think the, the combined inconsistencies of free throws, the combined inconsistencies of times where as great as the offense is, they are so, like, uh, I guess, scoring drought prone, and the combination with that and blowing leads late, all those things are very problematic yeah. once we get to March. That's that, And it's frustrating because whether it's uh, – I don't know if it's lack of ability or lack of willingness, maybe a combination of both, but we've seen teams before, like the teams that really get me juiced are the ones when it's like, oh, we're up, you know, 12 with 10 minutes to go. Let's try to win this thing by 25. Mm -hmm. You know, we're up 15 at halftime. Let's try to win this thing by 30. That they, whatever it is about them, whether it's the ability that maybe they have multiple ways to score. So when a team says, hey, they had a great first half against us, we're going to take away what they did in the first first half, and then you go, oh, they're taking this away, but we have this other option to go to. Whether it be that or they just don't have that mindset of, hey, we're up a bunch, let's you know, let's almost play against ourselves right now. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can du- double this lead again by the time the game ends. Um, I think it may be maybe a little both. Although I do think if if this team has a killer instinct on it, it's Christian Brown. Um, but I think a lot of it is there's just not as many options to where if you go, okay, well, they've done this to us, let's force them into a plan B or plan C. It's just not, you know, whereas in previous years, plan A was their 100%, but even plan C was effective 80% of the time. Maybe now the plan C is only like 65% effective. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it was just kind of a struggle throughout, but then it ended up being – I. He wasn't the best player in the game, but certainly by him not playing and then coming in and KU hitting a big run, that was the Zach Clements game, right? Um, KU doesn't take the lead late in that game without his minutes. I don't think KU wins the game Mm. without his minutes on on both ends of the floor. He's not known for being like a, a great defensive center or anything, but it's almost like because Tanner Groves is a stretch five and that's what Zach Clements is, it's almost like Zach Clements knew how to defend him because he is that exact same guy, and then he hits the big three that gives him the lead there. He just gave KU a different dynamic in that game, and like we were talking about this um, in the aftermath. We, you know, this is just one of those games where you kind of move on from for David McCormick. I don't really view much changing for Dave moving forward. There's still going to be games where Dave has a double double and, and plays 25 minutes, but for this specific matchup. These are the type of matchups that cause Dave issues sometimes mm-hmm. because you're either going to leave him open or you're going to leave the the middle of the lane open. And we saw Oklahoma exploit that by shooting really well from two and then Groves going off from, from downtown. Zach Clements is the one guy that can kind of adapt what you do defensively to that. And I think that was so important to see. I don't know what this means for the rotation moving forward. Like I, I could honestly see tonight we still see Mitch Lightfoot as the first big off the bench, right? But I do think it was important to see him perform like that so that you know if you do play another team with a stretch five, which I I don't really think Oklahoma State has, but there will be other teams down the road that you can say, hey, maybe in that specific matchup we can get away with 10, 15 minutes with Zach Clements. And that's a question for Bill Self to ask and and for people to ask of Bill Self. How are you going to be willing, once the tournament comes in, to go away from your bread and butter for the sake of a funny matchup. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'll give an example of when he did. Um, in 2012, 
there were times where he just had to sit Jeff Withy for the purpose of matchups. Missouri comes to mind. Um, he just met Withy was could do nothing against Missouri. Now, well, I think at least one game his knee was not great, but just as a matchup, he just I, and I think maybe that Purdue game in the second round of the tournament. But you had Kevin Young, who wasn't much to when it comes to scoring, but he was smart and he would he could move in such a way that he could at least successfully get in the face of guys who could stretch things a little bit. Um, so he gave you a different option. He probably wasn't as good all around as a basketball player as Jeff Withy, which is kind of proved out by the fact that Jeff Withy was a first round draft pick, albeit a late first round. But he gave he allowed you to play with a different look than you normally would. And is Self going to be willing to change his look if plan A is clearly not going well and what you need is is something that you don't usually play with and that's just, uh, that's basically five dudes all standing around the, the three-point arc? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because we have seen so often Bill Self cut the rotation down significantly once we get to March and it's seven guys or maybe it's eight guys on a given night where the eighth guy is playing eight to ten minutes and... It's, you know, there have been other teams where I remember going into the season, like perfect example to me is the 2018-19 team where you had this on paper deep roster. You had Charlie Moore off the bench and, and you were like with, okay, KJ Adams, I don't know how much he'll be part of the rotation, but if you want to play with a, you know, a small ball four or whatever it is, like you can use KJ there. And like I mean, that Lawson? was never the case. It was, or I'm sorry. Yeah. KJ lost. Okay. Um, and uh, it, 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 instead of being a thing where KU has all these different pieces, let's try to make them work for the specific matchup, it just became which seven or eight guys does Bill Self trust, and those are going to play no matter what. And that that's what is interesting to me of, is he willing to to change who's playing for the specific matchups? But like, Or has, I mean, did this game do enough yes, to earn his trust? Exactly, and that's the other piece of this. Could he just get into the rotation and forget the matchup thing? He's just a part of it. I do think that... Zach Clements probably has the highest ceiling on this team in terms of the centers, maybe long term. Uh, I think Dave probably is the higher ceiling at, for this, at this year. Moment, I agree, but right? He, Clements has, and I'm not sure. It, it's a lot goes into whether or not it bears out with the player. But there are moments where Clements, where you go, wow! Like if everything and, and works it, it'll with take, Zach Clements, he could be a first round. Could pick, be incredible. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Like player of the year. Yeah. Like KU legend type guy. Correct. If, but, again, that goes back to if everything works out. Yes. But the point is, we're seeing it. Yes, and that was important to see. Now, I, I will ask you, like I said, I know where I'm leaning on this. I'm leaning that Mitch Lightfoot's still going to be the first big off the bench, but there was the post-game interview that Greg Gurley, who we're going to have on the show coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour, where he mentioned to Bill Self that Clements could play more minutes, and, and maybe he's earned that. Do you think Zach Clements will be ahead of Mitch Lightfoot in the rotation tonight? No. No, I don't. I, I, in, in, in self, he said something in the, in the, I know, I know it was the interview with girl. Didn't he say something in the post game presser that was, was very much pro Zach Clements as well? Yeah. He said something about, um, with ball screens. He was upset with the big man. Yeah. He was the only one willing. Setting, yeah. yeah. Good ball screens, not getting contact. And he was doing that. Yeah. But I, I don't know. That could just be a, a shout out, like a, 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 a motivation message. tool. Right? Exactly. A message to the other mm -hmm. bigs. No, I I think I think Mitch Lightfoot is has is the first off the bench. Um, I think Mitch Lightfoot. Yeah, I, no, I I just I think the way 
I still think he's kind of proven that his floor is probably higher than Clements' floor. But and that's not necessarily Clements' fault. That's because he's eighteen years old and Mitch Lightfoot has been in the system for twenty seven years. <laughs> well that's that's my guess. My guess is Mitch is the first big in. Clements doesn't play till like the final two, three minutes of the first half. He messes one thing up and then he doesn't play again. I feel like that's the most this, likely. I tell you what, this could be a big week for Clements though, because that's you have a full week of practice again. Yeah. And I will say this, like I think if Zach Clements does earn his way into being that backup center, that's probably a good thing for KU, not necessarily because like it wouldn't just be a good thing if you just did it to do it. Yeah. But it would be a good thing if your five star center has emerged to a point where you feel he, like you he's can left trust you with him no other choice. Correct. Yeah. I'll say yeah, that you're not doing it because another guy backed up. You're mm-hmm. doing it because he earned his way up there. Yes. Um I'll say this. Zach Clements has the potential, and I know we don't want to it's kind of cliche of all college fans to look into the future. Um and so I don't want to spend too much time on that at this moment. But I do think there is something about him that says if he has one of those, you know, one of those summers like with with players who in KU at least since Bill Self's been here, that have had just that leap. What always almost inevitably happens if you hear stories of them doing some form of training three times a day, never leaving the gym throughout the entire summer, and all of a sudden their skills get to a point where their best is happening. 90% of the time. And now what we've seen with Clements, I think we've seen close to his best, but it's it's very rare that it comes out. And I think Clements could come become a guy who works enough to become consistent enough that his best is there for, you know, 90% of the games he's in. Yeah, and I'll say this, that the beauty of this is it's short turnaround with tonight. We'll get better evidence which way it's going with that. Um, the other thing that emerged in that game, because it was it was a struggle for Ochag Baji. There's some comments from Bill Self after the game about him playing beat up. Uh, it, he fell. I looked back. I, I was because we were texting. Like his we were, right arm, right? Yeah, he fell on that that same wrist. So I wondered because I wondered about that same thing when we were talking about it. I went back. Um, he, if I remember right, he fell and just naturally mm-hmm. put his arms out to catch himself. And it looked like he tweaked that same wrist that he tweaked on the scores table in Norman. So that's something to monitor. But uh, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson stepped up big time. And specifically with Christian, he's been really good this year. The numbers are starting to finally pick back up percentage-wise in Big 12 play after they were down a little bit in January. Jalen has been so, so good. I mean, he's, I, he's become what Dave was last yes, year. This, like, this is not hyperbole. And that's an exact great example because if – Jalen would have played like he has been playing over this last, whatever, two months or Big 12 play over the course of the entire season. He would be a legitimate All-American candidate. Yeah. I mean, uh, these are his numbers in Big 12 play. 14.5 points per game, which is seventh in conference play. 8.1 rebounds per game, which is third in conference play. 2.5 assists per game, which is 16th in conference play. 58% from the field, which is first in conference play. Wow. He is also leading conference play in effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage. And how many games does that include? There were at least a couple that bled into conference play that he was getting. Yeah. That he was still only getting about two points. And we even brought up his hustle that his, he was struggling shooting, but he was still able to pull down eight or nine or ten rebounds a game. He had two points against Oklahoma State in the Big in 12 the opener. opener yeah. And then four against Iowa State in the third Big 12 game. Every other game he's had eight or more points in Big 12 play. He legitimately, like I said, if you were voting on Big 12 Player of the Year, 
you're going to value the overall body of work. And I still think Ochai Baji gets the nod there because Ochai, in my opinion, is still KU's best player. But if you were picking number two, yeah, you might, if you were just valuing what happened in conference-only play for a Big 12 award, which I think is a fair way of voting, Jalen could be number two on that list. He's been great. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he's he's been fantastic. And and for all the time we spent about, will Dave become what he it was last year come conference play, it's Jalen that's flipped that switch. Yeah, he has. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Greg Gurley joins us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Coming up next, the KU women's basketball team got a pretty good win over the weekend as well. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. The Rams won the big game. Congratulations to Los Angeles. 23-20, final score. Not as we mentioned earlier, both great game. Of, both of their Super Bowls um, that they've won, were they scored twenty three in. Oh, interesting! Well, and they had to have like a late, yeah, late stop, late touchdown. by a yard, technically. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, you know, a lot of their Super Bowls have been kind of stinkers. Yeah, I mean, the thing was they they've they've long had the like all their the Super rule. Bowl teams were like, oh, they have this awesome offense, and then it. Yeah, scored then, like twenty points. They're held. <laughs> yeah, um, they're that's the thing. They, their Super Bowls have long that that the rule, the maxim that I hold to of there's a big, there's a difference between a close game and a good game. Um, now I would have preferred last night over like Broncos Seahawks yes. forty three to eight because mm-hmm. at least there's a reason to be watching in the fourth quarter. But I I think a lot of people have a bad habit of looking back. Like I I really think. And I'm not saying I would agree with this take, but I think that in the future people are going to go, man, that was a classic last last minute touchdown. And Aaron Donald, first off, a lot of people are already making this mistake. They're going to think Aaron Donald got a sack at the end of the game when he mm-hmm. didn't. He just got a big pressure and forced the incompletion, which he was tremendous. I'm just saying that's going to be the take, and it's going to be, oh, that was a great, you know, last second Super Bowl. It was three point game. Aaron Donald finished it off with a sack, and it'd be like, first off, no. He didn't. Cooper or Joe Burrow got the ball away. Secondly, that game was a turd until really the last four minutes or so. You had the Rams, who for one reason or another refused to do anything besides run the ball, even though they were they were averaging. Like I mean, they, Cam Akers is averaging like a yard. They were averaging. They were averaging fewer expected points per play than you and me when they were running last night because <laughs> we were at least at dead zero. They were at minus with their run plays last night. Um, and then all of a sudden they, they turned around and then in the second half, in the last, probably really the last quarter, you had the Rams who refused to do anything besides run and that wasn't working. And you had the Bengals who, as you pointed out, Joe Burrow and look, it took toughness. It, it takes toughness to play the NFL period. You have to be tough to play in the NFL and it takes an even bigger level of toughness to come out when you're hurting. And he was hurting, but it was very clear that that injury was keeping them, the, the Bengals, from doing anything creatively offensively. And so you had an offense that wouldn't do anything creatively and, and an offense that couldn't. Yeah. 
22 carry or 23 carries for 43 yards for the Rams. They kept wanting to run the ball. It was weird because I thought coming into the Super Bowl after the Sean McVay first experience in the Super Bowl that he were, Patriots, he said, "Look, I learned he was going to adjust. That, that yeah. he was going to learn, and he didn't. He didn't adjust at all. That to me, them winning that game." was why you went out and got Matthew Stafford. Because that game was not won by the play calling of Sean McVay. It was won by the defense, I think, probably most of all. But, you know, if you get in that situation where you have 23 carries for 43 yards and you need a last-second touchdown with Jared Goff, you're probably not Super Bowl champion today, right? I mean, yeah, I I agree. So uh, the trade play paid off. But also part of me wonders if, if Odell Beckham never gets injured, because to that point in the game, it was 13 to 3. Uh, the, the Bengals couldn't stop the Rams. It, it was either Cooper Cup's open or Odell's open yeah. or one of our third receivers or something is open. But once Odell went down, they just struggled scoring the ball. They had 10 points after they had, what, the two touchdowns of the first two drives. I think if Odell stays healthy in that game, I wonder if they run away with it. I mean, the, the Rams' yeah, defense was I, good enough to I, keep them in they, tow. They started with a punt, I think. So they were, I think it went punt, punt. Touchdown Rams. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Punt, punt, touchdown Rams. Rams punt, Bengals punt, touchdown Rams. Then a Bengals field goal, then touchdown Rams. Maybe there was another punt in between there. Yeah. But, yes, they were clearly early on when – and, look, maybe the Bengals would have adjusted defensively. I don't know. But, yes, you are right. When Odell Beckham early on was in that game, the Bengals were outclassed in terms of the the Rams offense versus the Bengals defense. Now, the question is – you know, well, if if you keep, you know, if you keep Odell Beckham, but then Joe Burrow doesn't, whatever hit was wrong with his knee, he did, he wasn't taken out, but he still could not. He yeah, was, was not a lot throwing of anything. From then on, yeah, and so he was clearly affected. So maybe the Bengals make offensive adjustments if he's fully healthy. So maybe you have more of a game that it's like you know, one again more like we expected, like thirty-one twenty-eight. Um, but yeah, I I do think the game was made closer because of the Beckham injury, which which is, I don't know, it's just sad. I'm, you know, I don't know, it's sad because he, yeah. he lost he, he a lot of money. He had such a good postseason. He did. He lost a lot of money. Um, He legitimately changed the way things went. If he signs with the Chiefs or the Packers yeah. or some other team, like who, who knows who's holding the Lombardi, it probably wouldn't be the Rams and at that point. This whole thing changed how, as much of a copycat league as the NFL is, this changed... I mean, it's been, since really Patrick Mahomes got in there, if you look at the rest of the NFL, it's been, all right, figure out who the young quarterback is and put every ounce of talent around him that you possibly can so we can either definitively say, yes, he's got what it takes, or no, he doesn't have what it takes. It's not going to be, well, he had a bad season, but he didn't have anybody around him. It was, no, we put everybody around him, and he still failed. Move on to the next guy. And now the Rams went... um, now, look, they had a lot of draft picks. I think if you look, I'd have to go back through the draft, but I really believe that they had a lot of like post-third-round draft picks that they hit on. Um, but in general, it, it was a lot of, no, we, we're we playing for now, and mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw afterwards on SportsCenter, I was watching, and I think they have negative $8 million in cap right now for next year, and they have I mean, a good amount of free agents. Like You're talking like Vaughn Miller, Odell Beckham, like all these guys that they traded for and stuff. So who knows what happens from here? There'll be a really interesting case study from here moving forward. What, what, does McVay retire? I don't know. I, I, I saw that a little bit. He's, I, he, he's talked about his—now, he, I didn't realize this. He doesn't even have kids. He's not even married. 
Yeah. I, He's got a fiance. There was some Aaron Donald retirement talk, too. Yeah. I would say, I, if I was between the two of them, I'd be more likely to retire if I was Aaron Donald. Just because you're getting the hell beat out of you all the time. Let's save some of that conversation for our NFL Monday overreactions. Because okay. I might have an overreaction for this. Um, Rams defense, though, was the difference. Cooper Cup won MVP. I, I don't know where you sit on this. I, I Very deserving MVP. And I was glad to see that it was a non-quarterback for once. Yeah, I just assumed it was going to be Stafford. I did too, I, I wouldn't he had have the a, two interceptions. Yeah, he, he missed I, I, the touchdown pass before I, the touchdown pass. I wouldn't pass. have agreed with it being Stafford, but I thought it was going to yes. be Stafford. And I will say, like Stafford, the no-look pass he made to Cooper Cup on the, I think it was like a third and six or third and seven, yeah. was that was incredible. That was probably the play of the game. But it was a run by Cooper Cup that really got that yeah, whole drive started because they played that, that, that little jet sweep yeah. to him. But honestly, I, I thought that Aaron Donald, could have and, and should have won the award just because for me the Rams defense in my eyes was the difference in that game I mean they they kept the Bengals in striking distance all night when the offense was sputtering without Odell and they had three points in the second half if the defense gives up one touchdown there was a point in time where I remember us we were watching the game it was 20 to 16 Bengals there was maybe eight ten minutes left Bengals got the ball after the Rams got stopped around midfield mm. and we sat there going this is where the Bengals put the nail in the coffin. They're yep. going to go down and get a touchdown. They didn't. And the Rams' defense held. They kept them in striking distance. Rams held the Bengals to 3 of 14 on third down, 1 of 3 on fourth down. They stopped them on two fourth and ones, including the game winner at the end there. And Aaron Donald as well had those final two plays. He didn't just have the the QB hit on on Burrow that helped force an incompletion. He also had two sacks. Yeah, but and he, he also, had the stop he had the on the game on third, yeah, which, on the third look, one. We which can I don't know what we can debate we can debate yeah. how stupid it was for them to run. Was it P Ryan that they ran with or was it um, Yeah, it was P Ryan too. It wasn't even It wasn't even mixing, yeah. So they run some RG P Ryan um I could be wrong on that. Maybe P Ryan I, was in sure. on the fourth down. But I know Mixon wasn't in on the fourth they down. They run. They run on third and down in in which it's third and short, I get, but you're you're not going against the the first the down and distance. You're going against the clock in that moment, um, and so he makes the stop there to force the fourth down, and then of course you know he gets uh, it would have been a sack, honestly, in, uh, under normal circumstances. I think it's an intentional grounding on Burrow there, mm-hmm. um, so he, he gets his hands in there. And I mean, how many games in the NFL wasn't that the only points they scored in the in the second half? Or did they get a field goal in there? What was it at halftime? 13-10? Yeah, it was 13-10 Rams. So that means they got a field goal at one point. Mm-hmm. So how many I mean, how many NFL games are you going to win in which you only get one touchdown in an entire second yeah. half? And it was because of the defense mm-hmm. that they that they were able to win even though they only scored one. And and I mean they scored they scored zero touchdowns in the first twenty eight minutes of the second half. And they still won that football game. And it was because of the defense. Yeah. Defense was awesome for the Rams. Defensive line was great. They sacked Joe Burrow a bunch. He just took a beating this postseason. Amazing that he even made it to this point. And it felt like the Bengals' magic was going to continue on in games where you didn't necessarily feel like they were the better team. But they just kept finding ways to win. For a little, it did. And for a little, it felt like we were going to be having to have a, a big conversation about the offensive pass interference that wasn't or the offensive face mask, was, whatever you I, want to call how it. How do you miss that call? But it ends up not mattering, yeah. um, and the Rams win the Super Which Bowl. You could also make the argument that there was kind of a phantom hold call in favor of the yeah. Rams late, so it, it balanced out. Yeah, there was. Um, oh, by the way, uh, good on Hakeem Adeniji. 
I don't know how he graded out or how he looked overall of the game, but it seemed like a good portion of the game. He was playing pretty well, and, and regardless of how he did, that's really cool. You have a guy who started at KU for four years and literally in his like second or third year in the pros, he has already turned into a starting offensive lineman. Again, not a very good offensive line, but the fact that you're even starting in the NFL is cool to begin with, let alone on a Super Bowl team. So uh, good on Hakeem Adenji, although his team fell a little bit short. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll be joined by Greg Gurley, KU basketball color analyst, coming up on the other side. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was, right now, on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Quick audible here. We're going to actually be talking with Greg Gurley later this hour. So we're doing Case of the Mondays when you're used to it. At the top of the 4 o'clock hour with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. You are listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. By the way, happy restaurant week. It started today. Woo! And uh, sponsored here on the stations by Blackstag Brewery and uh, RPG, both down on Mass Street. RPG, great spot. You can go play board games. They've got great food, great drink. Blackstag Brewery bunch of different European beers and everything. Go check them out as part of uh, Restaurant Week this week. Did you watch any of the or, or catch any of the clips of what was going on at the Waste Management, the golf uh, tournament over I, the weekend? So, no, I, I know exactly what goes on at the 16th hole, which, for the record, is how I think every golf tournament should be at mm-hmm. every hole, not just the 16th at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Um, and so I, I don't watch... a. I, I'm the kind of golfer. It's like a scene like, from Happy Gilmore. W- yeah, whatever really whatever you got used to with, with Nick Schwartz's love of golf, I am a watch the last nine on Sunday of the majors type type golf fan. I'm really not a huge golf fan. Um but I do make sure I know what that I know about the sixteenth hole and it looks like a bunch of fun. Um so I make sure to catch I can't remember who who nailed the hole in one this time, but I watched the clip on Twitter. Yeah, I don't remember who it was either. Maybe it was Sam Burns or something. I don't know. Um, but it was really cool. That was on Saturday. He hits a hole-in-one, and the crowd just starts throwing empty beer cans onto the course. It delayed everything. And they, it, they're they allowed to. Like, that's the point of the tradition. Yeah, yeah. Let, uh, it's more of a wild golf tournament. Now, let me ask you, that, as I understand it, I could, you know, like I said, I don't know a ton about golf, so I could be way wrong. But as I understand it, that's a somewhat organic tradition. That people just because there's there were a lot of hole in ones at that particular hole, that a lot of fans just started crowding around that hole, and then kind of came the 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 rowdiness and the fun, um, and then from there because it became such a popular hole, that's when they built the grandstand around that hole. And it wasn't always there, as I understand. It. I could be way wrong because I don't know a ton, of, but it, it was told to me. I'm not just pulling out of my hoop. I was. It was told to me that. That that in fact that they they fans made it that way, and then the 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 uh, course and the tournament saw a demand 
to put a grandstand there. Uh, that that's really cool. If it is, the entire environment of the tournament is very like a a party atmosphere for a golf event. But yeah, that one is kind of the the creme de la creme, so to speak, of of the tournament. And it, it stunk a little bit because uh, it ended up going to a playoff. Scotty Scheffler and Patrick Cantlay went to a playoff. Cantlay is one of the best players in the world, and. It went to a playoff during when the Super Bowl started. So, you know, you're not going to get a ton of people watching the end of that. But Scheffler ends up winning. He was down three, headed into hole 13, came from behind, beat Patrick Cantlay in the playoffs, sunk a really long putt to end up winning the thing. I mean, just the whole atmosphere, incredible. There was a point in time where one of the players, like, hit a big putt and he, like, took his shirt off. And it's just, it's just a fun golf event. You don't necessarily need every event to be like this, but... It's fun to have them like this in a sport that can be a little bit too hoity-toity at certain times. And it legitimately is like the scene in Happy Gilmore where yeah. they're passing around like the beach ball and it, it gets onto the uh, course with and Shooter the players, McGavin. the players play into it. Yeah, yeah. And, and he like hits it with the golf club. He's like, this is golf. Go back to your shanties. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, but no, I, the, the, the players, players love in, it. They play even tight. Like with Tiger... I think he's hit. I know he's hit at least one hole in one of that, and he plays it up, man. He loves it, and, and like it's a fun. I'm sure. I, I agree. I think a lot of the players wouldn't like it to be like that all the time, but I think they do appreciate it. One thing I miss, just on the topic of of uh, big of sporting events, the day of the Super Bowl, it used to be the NBA at about two o'clock, so it would never go. It would never overlap with the Super Bowl. But Super Bowl Sunday would always have a big NBA game at about 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And that doesn't happen anymore, which is disappointing. I uh, saw somebody saying they should uh, they should have like a late night Pac-12 basketball game after the game to let us like have a have a cool letdown yeah. into the, the end of the weekend. Uh, the Olympics, though, I yeah, could have watched that before. Went, and after. Right, went right into figure skating and then mono bob. Mm-hmm, that's right. Um. The only thing I really pay attention paid attention to with the Olympics was U.S. men's hockey team over the weekend. They beat Canada, which yep. is a big deal. Uh, they beat Four Germany yesterday. Beat Germany yesterday. So three and zero in group play. Now top, headed on to the playoffs. Top think, of their stage. I think, I think the they still team, have. Are they done with group play too? I think they that just finished it up with Germany. Okay, I knew they were. I couldn't remember. If, I knew that that guaranteed them a spot in the knockout round, but I couldn't remember if they had one more or not. Yeah, and the, the women's team, I think, is going to either the semifinals or the finals to play, I believe, Canada. And they already, they've already lost to Canada. Yeah. They lost to them in group play, so this will they need some revenge here. Did we miss anything? I know last week we had the, the crazy curling match. Did we miss anything of um, this weekend? I mean, Jamaica officially got onto the bobsled track um, for the first time of these Olympics. Okay, d- probably a dumb question here. Is the movie Cool Runnings, is that a true story? So, it is a true story that Jamaica did, for the first time ever, put bobsledders into the 1988 Calgary Olympics. The manner in which it is presented is very much not a true story. Like, in, in the in the film Cool Runnings, it's a, um, you know, it's like a coach had this harebrained idea that... Um, that they, you know, the sprinters could be uh, uh, bobsledders, and then he went, you know, downhill, and 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 then like this, you know, the Jamaicans allowed him to have his big comeback story as the coach of the Jamaican. That's not how it really went. It was a very organic Jamaican idea. Um, so the manner in which the story's told is not true. But yes, in 1988, the Jamaicans did send bobsledders to the to the Winter Olympics in Calgary. Not coached by John Candy. Not coached by John Candy. And yes, a lot of it was a very "what the hell's going on here" type of attitude. And yes, they actually did crash on one of their runs. Mm. 
um, as as they showed in the in the movie. That actually did happen. Um, the only other big story was the the um, the the little girl, the the Russian figure skater, got her band overturned, um, which is just the whole story. I I to me the the story there is that she's that's a level of an, of abuse to me. It is a fifteen year old that they're either allowing or forcing to take PEDs. To me, that's the story there, not whether or not she should be allowed to compete. I think this is a Russia problem, and the, the not her. I think it's an issue with the people above her, the adults that are actually making the decisions. Okay, uh, MLB made another offer in negotiations over the weekend, too. Didn't sound like it went very well. Um, they Didn't were, it last like less than an hour? Yeah. Which, okay, this is what I don't understand. Why are these two not meeting like every day? Why don't they just be like, "Hey, we're gonna meet every day for like two weeks until we iron something out"? It's just yeah. I think right now they're still in the in the let's play games yeah. stage, which is sad because which right now I mean, we're, pitchers and catchers were supposed exactly. to report today, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, usually this is when it's like, okay, the NFL just ended, Super Bowl's done. It's two things: it's college basketball season ramps up, MLB is about to get started. Yeah. And now that is gone. You know what I was? I was looking at an old, uh, I think it was Wichita State's 2011-2012 schedule last night. And Random but, thing to w- look at. I, you know. Um, but remember they, they used to have mid-majors, they used to feature mid-majors in late February on ESPN on Bracket Buster yes. Saturday. They don't awesome. have Bracket Buster Day anymore. No, I wish it they was, brought it was that a day, It was they featured, uh, they mm-hmm. picked a Saturday late in every February. To feature um, mid-majors, and they called it Bracket Buster Saturday. They should bring that back. They played I, da- I that, that particular year. They played Davidson. Yeah, they would like schedule based on who the best teams are. They would like, better mid-majors. Yeah, and it would give the teams like an extra win that could allow them to get to the NCAA tournament. Is maybe like a an at-large if they didn't win it. They, they should bring that back. Uh, Puppy Bowl also happened over the weekend too. Snoop Dogg coached one team, Team Fluff. Martha Stewart. He, he should actually coach Team Puff. Mm, team, <laughs> yeah, I got it. Uh, team Rough was the other team, Martha ah. Stewart. And Team Fluff won 73-69. to 69. How uh, do they keep score there? Uh, I'll, I'll go through the rules in a second here, but how about this game lasted three hours. That's a little excessive, right? Like, this is all cute and cool. You, I, you I didn't actually sell watch sell ads it. for that long. I good guess, for you, but man. it's like, this to me feels like, okay, it's a 30-minute event. It's an hour event, you know? Three hours? Are you serious? Um, apparently, it featured more than a hundred adoptable puppies. So that's cool. They're all, you know, adoptable that you can see and be like, "Hey, I want to adopt that dog." Uh, Kirby, which is the a, a Labrador Retriever service dog in training, was Team Fluff's MVP. Oh, he won the Lombarki Trophy for Team Fluff. Um, here's the rules. They're pretty flexible, which you would imagine. Um. Obviously, there's not really any training that goes on here. It's a loosely resembled version of American football. So the goal is there's just like a bunch of chew toys on the field, and a puppy has to drag one to the finish line on either side Mm -hmm. for a touchdown. Now, I don't understand how the score could be 73-69, though, based on that, because... Those aren't divisible by seven or six. 
So, so maybe it's not six points. Maybe if they drag it to the opposite end line, it's still a safety. But even then, that doesn't add up. I don't understand the scoring. Yeah, maybe you're a point. Maybe it's just like a point, three points or something. I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Uh, but puppies can also be called for penalties, including pass interference, unnecessary roughness, and premature watering on the field, which I think you can guess what that one is. I think, by the way, I'm pretty sure 73 is a prime number. It doesn't divide by anything. Yes, I have no idea how the score finished like it is. But again, it's loose rules. Congratulations, Team Fluff. You joined the LA Rams. I was I was at, and you know this because we were at the same Super Bowl party. I was at a Super Bowl party last night that had four dogs mm, at it. We could have had our own puppy. Bowl. It was wonderful. Yeah. I tweeted about it. <laughs> four dogs, guys. It was great. Yep, that was the uh, Super Bowl party in its own. All right, uh, that is Case of the Mondays. We're going to talk with Greg Gurley. Color man for the KU men's basketball team on the other side. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. We move over for KU coverage at 630 tonight. Pre-game starts up here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS, with tip-off at 8 o'clock, and you'll be able to hear Greg Gurley along with Brian Haney on the call tonight. Greg joins us now on the show. Uh, Greg, we were talking about Jalen Wilson at the beginning of the show, and some of the numbers in Big 12 play are are pretty remarkable. 14.5 points, over 8 rebounds. Uh, What has been the biggest change that you've seen in Jalen from where he started the year when he was struggling to what now, if you were just going off Big 12 stats, would be probably a first-team All-Big 12 player. No question. I mean, I think the suspension hurt him because he went through a span in August and September when I was watching practice. He's great. Might have been our best player, and everyone's like, God, Jalen has just been the guy. And he has his unfortunate you know, occurrence where he got suspended and he owned up to it. And then it took him a good, I don't know, six, eight games to really kind of get back that confidence he wasn't starting and so that might have led to that a little bit but since big 12 has started like you said he's been great does does that path give any worry to whenever remy martin returns that it does take some time to kind of get back in the flow of things or is that kind of uh independent dependent on the player i guess i think it's dependent on the player and you know because jalen wasn't dealing with an injury like remy is so yeah, it's probably going to take, you know, you, you really want to see Remy back in the next seven to ten days so he can kind of get his sea legs under him or uh, whatever you want to call it just to get back in basketball shape and basketball rhythm, especially for a guy that handles the ball as much as he does. So two different instances, but uh, similar to a degree because you just, you know, it's going to, it's going to take a while. If If you were voting on Big 12 Player of the Year, I'm guessing Ochai would be number one. Would would Jalen factor into that decision at all? I don't know about player of the year, but I think all Big 12 first team, I would say, for sure. And then I think you put look at CB as a second teamer. And as far as player of the year in the league, Ochai, to me, is the clear favorite. 
Uh, some people will say Nigel Pack at K-State, but the record doesn't uh, go with it. If you're the best player on the best team that could win the league, I think that is player of the year stats. We're talking with Greg Gurley here on RCST. You know, the the game Saturday beyond Jalen and Christian playing so well is kind of the, I guess, Zach Clements game. Uh, do you envision what Clements did against Oklahoma as just a strong game or maybe a strong matchup because he had the stretch five versus the stretch five? Or do you think that does lead to longer playing time moving forward, including tonight against Oklahoma State? Well, I think, it, you know, the confidence that Bill will have in him grew. The trust factor, he came in and did what he was supposed to do. He challenged Groves at the three line and, you know, probably got a little lucky that he missed him. But more athletic guy, probably more of a perimeter defensive player than Dave. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing is we've seen throughout the year with this team is Bill wants to trust you, that he can put you in. And, you know, and then I think – Lately, you know, Bobby's probably lost that trust, but Joe has gained it and, you know, kind of goes in waves and Bill's a guy that'll play to the situation, not necessarily a, like when NFL coaches, you know, script the first 15 plays. That's not Bill. He's going to, well, this kid, you know, right now, this isn't a good matchup for Dave, so I'm going to play Zach, whatever. So it's one of those things that, uh, he's, he, you know, Zach has, has definitely entered his mind on, when he looks down that bench, okay, maybe I will put him in. Yeah, I'm just I'm very interested tonight because I, I think there probably is from a lot of the fan base uh, a swaying of expectations where uh, they think Clements might be now the backup five, but I, I still feel like like I don't know if you had to guess. My thought was that Mitch Lightfoot will still be the first big off the bench. Do you do you think that'll still be the case tonight? I, I do. I don't think that'll change, but. I don't concern myself too much with that. It's all about who plays the most minutes as we dig into it. You know, Oklahoma State's probably the most athletic team in our league. So, uh, you know, they got Cisse is a guy that more of a back-to-basket guy. So does Dave play more? Again, situational basketball, defense and offense, what Bill does. And, again, if, if you go in there with play for a couple of minutes, you don't get the job done. That's the beauty of having a deep team. You can try somebody else. So, uh you know, Mitch is his guy and is going to continue to get those books, but we've also seen when Mitch hasn't been productive that you don't see him again. So uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting game to. tonight just simply because of the matchups with Oklahoma State. Joe Yesifu, uh, as you mentioned, kind of got into that trust tree with Bill Self, but last game played just four minutes. Do you think that was just a, a one-off? Do you think he's lost any of the trust there? Are you expecting to see him a lot tonight? I think it's a one-off, uh, mainly because I think we were playing from behind. Uh, we needed guys on the floor that can, you know, Oklahoma was such a, a good defensive team. You had to play DeWan more because as much as, as we've, uh, you know, criticized and dissected DeWan, he plays 37 minutes for a reason because he handles the ball, lion's share of the time. And Joe isn't a real point guard. I mean, he can play points. But that's not a guy who's going to play point for 30-plus minutes. DeWan is. And, and uh, I know our fan base sometimes gets down on him, but I tell you what, DeWan Harris has done so way more good things for this team than, than, than bad. And Does he have his deficiencies? Of course, everybody does. But uh, that, that's part of the reason that Joe didn't get more time because you know Goldwire and, and, and Gibson and those guys are so good defensively, you needed DeWan out on the floor. Yeah, I think one of the things that Self mentioned, I can't remember if this was in the, the post-game interview with yourself or in the post-game presser afterwards, but uh, Self kind of talked about Ochai being hurt and kind of battling through some things. 
Is that just you view it as bumps and bruises along the rigors of the season, or is there anything there? And how difficult do you think it is for him right now with kind of all this this talk about being face guarded? Well, I, I think the injuries are just a product of bumps and bruises. I talk to Ochai after every game, and I ask him how he's doing, and he says, hey, I'm straight, I'm good. You know, the other day could have been his wrist, his right wrist. You know, down in Norman, it was his left wrist. And, you know, when you when people play physical face-guarding defense on you, there's going to be bumps and bruises. So he's too tough of a kid to make that as an excuse. Truly what it is is teams have watched film. You know, we they, they watch film, and they say, who's killing you? And that's Ochai. So you face guard him, and you make other guys beat you. And that's what I was so encouraged about Saturday is that Christian and CB stepped up. They were the guys that, that got us that victory because Ochai didn't play bad. He just And he didn't force things. He was just the guy that they didn't let him catch the ball. And then give them credit. Make other guys beat you. That's exactly what I would do, too, if I was the other coach. So he's got to be patient. And it's going to be tough because he wants that he knows he can score 37 points, but sometimes it's best if he only scores 11 because it opens up lanes for everybody else. With the Oklahoma game, where you know I guess it gets kind of chalked up as another game that KU had uh, going their way pretty favorably down the stretch, and then things got uh, a little more dangerous there. Whether it did result in a loss like Texas or I guess the Dayton game, even though that was more of a halftime lead. The Texas Tech game comes to mind where you lost the lead late and then ended up going to double overtime. Uh, the end-of-game sequences, when does that become a cause of concern for you for March? Is is that anything that is on your mind right now, or is that something that um, can kind of alleviate itself if, if it just doesn't happen from here on? I guess how much of a concern is that moving forward? Well, I would say it's a concern mainly because two things. I think we struggle to get the ball in on the baseline when teams are pressing us. And I don't know why that is. They always seem to feed us in the corner and we get trapped. One of the biggest plays of the game, DeWan caught the ball in the dead corner, turned it over, they had a bucket, and uh, we almost gave the game away because of it. And the other thing is free throws. And that's mental. CB's a much better free throw shooter. Guy shouldn't miss two, but he did. And that talk, you know, I don't care about your free throw percentage overall. I care about your free throw percentage in the last five minutes when you're tired and they mean more. And then that's where all of our guys need to be better. What's the most free throws you've ever hit in a row? Oh, uh, probably 120 we had a, it was like a, uh, a free throw a thon raising money for something, and my dad's buddies would give a dollar for every make. And I came back and I said, I made all 100. They didn't believe me, but there was a witness. So, yeah. <laughs> what could you get right now? If we rolled them out on, on Allen Fieldhouse tonight and you were the uh, the halftime show, how many could Greg get? Out of 100, I could probably make probably 85. That's really good. That's real good. Uh, Oklahoma State's the opponent tonight. Again, you can hear that here on KLWN, our sister station, 105.9 KISS, with Greg Gurley on the call. So what's the key for the Jayhawks tonight to rack up the uh, season sweep over the Cowboys? Anytime you play Oklahoma State, transition defense is key. They like to get it and go. They're the most athletic team in our league. They have a lot of the same guys. They got a lot of six foot six athletes. They're not super gifted offensively, but they get it and go and shoot it and chase it. So rebounding is key. Transition defense is key. And Cisse is a guy that has, has come on in the last several weeks. You know, we haven't seen Oklahoma State for six weeks. And we've got to remember way back then, they were coming off like a 14-day COVID rest 
because they had all kinds of issues. So we played them at kind of the right time. And we didn't really even play that well. I mean, you think about it. We went on a, almost a 10-minute drought where we didn't score on the road, and we won. If you do that any other time of the year, you're not going to win when you don't score in 10 minutes. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. And so we caught them on the right night. This is a team that can easily come in down field house and win. We got to be ready to go. We got to get back in defense. We got to uh, be careful with the ball, value every possession because because we live ball turnovers have been killing us. We got to do a better job than that. He is Greg Gurley, color analyst for the KU Basketball Jayhawk Radio Network, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Greg, before we let you go, one last thing with my producer, Adam Dravetta. All right, Greg, one last thing. Of the flightless birds out there, which one would you most like to eat? <laughs> of the what birds? The flightless birds. Oh, the flightless birds. Are yeah. turkeys flightless? Well, you can't count like chicken or turkey. We already, we already eat those. I'm talking about the ones we're not normally eating. So like penguin meat? I would eat the penguin. Is that even safe? I don't know, but I would eat it. Greg? Yeah, I, 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 for lack of sounding stupid, I'm trying to think of flightless birds. So the oh, first a, one a, that popped a, into my head was penguins. Penguins don't so, fly. Peacocks don't fly. I would. I mean, those flamingos are so pretty. I wouldn't want to eat them. Uh, I don't know. know. That's, bone. Yeah, they wouldn't have much meat. Flightless birds. Are we gonna get in trouble uh, with PETA? Yeah, I don't think I don't think you're supposed to eat flamingos. <laughs> or yeah, I don't know about penguins either. So, um, I, I don't have a real good answer. You threw me off. All right, penguins. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Penguins, it is. All right, he's a great yeah. girly. Greg, thank you so much for the time, and uh, have fun on the cold night. All right, thanks, guys. All right, that's Greg Gurley, color analyst, KU Basketball, with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, our NFL Monday overreactions. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. LA Rams Super Bowl champions and hard not to see that Bills Chiefs game and think that those still two weren't or the two best teams in the NFL this past season I mean it just ugh. I mean even the Packers probably feel a little little off um after the game because they were the best team in the NFL just like record wise and they just put up a stinker but because they put up a stinker, the Chiefs did the same thing in the second half, but, I mean, just tough. If the Bills were in that game, I feel like the Bills would have won the game. If the Chiefs were in the game, I feel like the Chiefs would have won that game just a little bit. I, guess, I think the Bills have the right to feel worse because with the Chiefs, they, they blew it. The, yeah. the Bills, they I think, did beat. everything they possibly could. They just got beat. They played. Yeah, they played a great game. They just wasn't perfect which the Chiefs were off they just didn't play a great game at the right time yeah they didn't play it in the last 13 seconds it was, it was crazy all right uh with that let's get on to our NFL Monday overreactions here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk um all right so we're each gonna do four this week then we'll get to loser of the week Adam all I will right. let you kick things off last night this was the least likely Super Bowl to produce a dynasty since 49ers Ravens in the 2012-2013 season. I don't th- I, I said at the beginning of the show, I don't think, um, you know, I know Burrow is young, really good quarterback. I think he really kind of peaked at, at his abilities this year. I could be wrong. Um, 
And if you want to just say, oh, he's just a Chiefs fan with sour grapes, you can say that. And maybe time will prove you right and time will prove me right. I don't know. I don't think either of these teams looks like a dynasty. I think the Rams probably had more pressure on them in the way they built their team because at least the Bengals have a young roster. But I think both teams, like that year, kind of made it. Although in that year, the the year the Ravens won it, they got past the Broncos and they had a 50-touchdown quarterback. Um, but I think this year there was just no true elite, elite all-time great teams in the NFL. And the 49ers and, and Bengals got in, or the Rams and Bengals got in in a year where there was no true great teams. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of do my first one and build off that because um, I think it's it's kind of similar uh, with the Bengals specifically, like what you said about Joe Burrow. I, despite a terrible offensive line, I, I think this was the Bengals' best chance to win a Super Bowl with Joe Burrow, which is weird because he could have, you know, 15 more years in the NFL if he plays till he's 40. Um, but this was just doing a little digging back. There have been 14 quarterbacks who have lost the Super Bowl as the starter in their age 26 or younger season. Now, Mahomes became one of them last year, but he also had the Super Bowl win the year before that. Um, The newest addition of that 14 is Joe Burrow. Of the first 12, though, so prior to Mahomes and Burrow entering that category, the previous 12 quarterbacks who lost the Super Bowl in their age 26 or younger season, only two of them ever made it back to the Super Bowl. That was John Elway, who it took his fourth time to win one, and Bob Greasy, who lost, then won back-to-back Super Bowls, including the undefeated Miami Dolphins. In one of those years, it was Earl Morrill, technically, who was the quarterback most of the season uh, for Miami. But that's not very good odds. Um, I don't know if there's really anything there because, you know, it might just be a happenstance thing. And maybe Joe Burrow is one of the great quarterbacks. And you could say, well, John Elway was one of the greats and he figured out a way to go back. But there is a part of me that thinks when you lose that first Super Bowl when you're young, it can mess with your mind a little bit. The more time goes, look, Josh Allen is going not by his own, not of his own fault. But be, I mean, because he played amazing against the Chiefs, but Allen is going to begin to start into that that that. Well, he's great, but he can't yeah. win the big one already. But already, even then, like if, if Joe Burrow loses in the divisional round next year, I think it'll hit him harder than Josh Allen because with Josh Allen, it's like you played that well in a divisional round loss. Super Bowl magnifying glass is on. Yeah, and, and, and Burrow Joe Burrow's is, QBR was under forty last what, what, night. What did you know? he throw a touchdown last night? He had one. So that put. Did he have a pick? No, he had no picks. So his entire playoff was five touchdowns, two picks. Yeah, it's fine. And look, and, and look, right. quarterback rating. Um, you know, those aren't the end all, be all. But I'm pretty sure even Mahomes had a better rating. It was either a better passer rating or better QBR after mm-hmm. that game in the AFC Championship. Yeah, so I'm not going as far to say that Burrow won't ever win one. I just think this was their best chance to win a Super Bowl, which which may sound a little weird because you would say, well, this is only Joe Burrow's second year in the NFL. He's going to get better. Yeah, he, and he gonna, is going to yeah. get better. Um, and you would say, oh, they have one clear weakness, offensive line. They'll work on it. They'll try to get it fixed, and they'll put a bunch of resources into fixing that. But you don't get to retain all your strengths year to year yeah. and just say, okay, we have one weakness. We fixed it. You could fix the weakness, and then all of a sudden next year, like the secondary is really bad yeah, or something. And like other that. teams are also getting better. Yeah, and, and eventually you're going to lose the rookie deal of the, Joe Burrow. You're going to have to lose some of these great weapons around yeah. you, right? And, and, the, and it's a team owned by Mike Brown, who I don't really yeah. trust. The and, and the advanced stats would suggest um, 
sacks are as much on the quarterback as the offensive line. The Bengals, it might be a little more on the offensive line than Burrow because they truly are bad. Um, but even then, you know, Burrow is responsible for some of those sacks. I mean, we the the while he gets he gets sacked a lot, his offensive line must be garbage. Was what everybody said about Deshaun Watson. I'm sorry, I just I just saw something that I have to share. LeBron James just tweeted. We, Dodgers and Rams, should all do a joint parade together with a live concert afterwards to end it. City of Champions. The Dodgers did not win the World Series. The Lakers are not even in the playoffs right now. What the hell? Anyway, what's your talking about the because they didn't have get to they didn't get to have a parade when they won it in a bubble? Oh my gosh. Anyway, what's your second one? He's really grabbing for attention (laughs) right now. Um, my second one, woof. Uh, McVeigh was making a lot of fireable decisions before that last drive last night. I don't think he actually would have gotten fired, but I can tell you I'm not the only one who was thinking. I wouldn't even know the the only one at our Super Bowl party who was thinking it. McVeigh was making some fireable decisions. Um, Now, look, in the end, it worked out because maybe his whole thought was our defense is going to hold us. Giving them the benefit of the doubt, maybe he's thinking, all right, the defense is going to keep holding us. The defense is going to keep holding us. What I want to do right now is keep it for one final drive and not risk. If I'm going to put in our, our quarterback in a position to throw another pick, it's going to be on the final drive and we need to keep passing. But he made, like he was fired last night if Cooper Cup didn't scoot by that dude that they let free on that little jet sweep on third, on what, fourth down. Yeah. I don't know that they would have fired him, but he was making some awful decisions. No, like at I, least yeah. you could say whoever was calling the plays for the Bengals, at least you could say they were they're they were making terrible def- offensive play calls, but that was because their quarterback didn't have a knee. Yeah, I Sean McVay to me is the new age Andy Reid in that he is such a good X's and O's guy. I mean, by, by X's and O's and calling plays, both of them are top five, maybe top three, maybe even the top two play callers in that regard in the NFL. But both of them, and honestly, Kyle Shanahan goes in this category as well. Another guy, great play caller, like top three, top five play caller, offensive mind, head coach in the NFL. But all three of those guys are just like so bad at like game management, being aggressive, knowing when to go for it on fourth down, time management, and like adjusting in game. I think I think Shanahan's a little better at adjusting maybe than, than McVay and Reed. But with McVay and Reed, it's like sometimes like the Bengals second half, they're running this uh, three-man rush with a QB spy, and it's just like this refusal to just run it down their throat. With Sean McVay, it was like the opposite. It was like the Bengals like, no, we are not letting you run the ball. Yeah. Like, no, we're going to try it anyway. It, it was wild to watch. Um, okay, my second one, the Arizona Cardinals will either be terrible or win the Super Bowl next season. One of the two. So they're either getting like a top five pick or they're winning the whole thing? Yes. Uh, have you paid attention to all this Kyler Murray stuff, this drama? No, on? I know. Yeah, I know the stories about him not. Um, do you have any evidence of this other than they're just going to continue the streak of hosting and winning the Super Bowl? Well, thanks for or do you stealing actually, my thunder. <laughs> do you actually um, believe, like, do you have any on-field evidence? No, I was just going to say the Super Bowl host has won the last two years, and they're okay. the Super Bowl host next year. Sorry, I, I mean, they made the playoff, playoffs, though, so it's not like they were a bad team. Um, but here's why they could be terrible. Kyler Murray unfollowed all of the Cardinals' like accounts and everything. He took off everything off his social media that had him like in a Cardinals jersey, in a Cardinal uniform, anything like that. There have been reports surfacing around now that he is unhappy with the organization, that the organization is unhappy with him because they think he's selfish. He doesn't show up on time to things like quarterbacks and, Which, and leaders do. I just to say, I'm kind of, I think like Tom Coughlin, 
he finally I can't remember who it was, but he he was a great coach in Jacksonville and he was doing well in New York, but he could never break through. And I can't remember who it was, but finally another coach who had been his his contemporary but had since retired said, Look, man, you gotta just stop worrying. Oh, on time is five minutes early and wear your socks up to your knees. It's like, dude, you gotta stop worrying about crap like that. And what happened? He did, he won two Super Bowls. Yeah. And with by way by the way, with Eli freaking Manning. And so but but that stuff does matter with your quarterback. The showing up late or the showing up early, staying late, that stuff matters with your quarterback. Yeah. No, it does. And, and like I, I don't care if my free safety's not doing it. I you know, or you know, like Derek Thomas was kind of a guy who was known. Bo Jackson also kind of known as a guy that didn't necessarily practice very hard, just had this freakish talent and was just a gifted superstar and could do amazing things. But you can't your, your quarterback has to be the first there, last to leave type guy. Mm-hmm. Um, there was reports too that he was like he's a finger pointer and stuff like so. Uh, he could end up getting traded, and there's also a case that the Cardinals could tank out. I mean, Chandler Jones, free agent. Um, Kyler Murray, who knows? Maybe you trade him away, and then maybe you have nothing, and maybe you're terrible. But if if the if the Cardinals really want to tank, what they need to do is the owner needs to go to Cliff Kingsbury. And just trick him into believing that they are ten and zero, and every game is the eleventh or twelfth or thirteenth week of the season. Hey, man, we're ten and zero. This is week eleven. Really? Oh, sweet! I don't even have to work anymore. We can lose the rest of them. Yeah. Hey, wait. Why are they, why are we ten and zero, and it's twenty weeks later? I'm really confused. <laughs> um, my next one last night was either was the last game of either Sean McVay or Aaron McDonald. Or Aaron McDonald. Mm. Huh, changed his name. He's going to go into the burger industry now. Um, no, Sean McVay or Aaron Donald. I think at least one, maybe both, but I think at least one of them is done. I think Sean McVay, he's on the record, is talking about he doesn't want to do this till he's old. But again, we've heard a lot of coaches say that before. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, man, I know I said I wasn't going to be doing this at 60, but I'm 60 and I still feel great and I love my job. So I don't know if I want to quit. Um, but he, he doesn't have kids yet. He's not married yet. I, I think he's see, getting married this time. He is. Though. He's engaged. Yeah. I could see him maybe at the very least maybe taking uh, coming back later and, and coaching a different team in maybe two years. But I could very much see either of those guys whether it be Donald going, I don't want my body to get beat up anymore. I still feel great, which a lot of super with a lot, which a lot of great NFL players can't say that they feel great at the end of their career. I think either of those guys or both could say, "I feel great. I've achieved everything I want to achieve. I'm I'm set with my money. I'm done." Yeah, Donald to me feels almost more likely because um, if he retires now, when he, he won the Super Bowl, he's accomplished every individual award. He's been. I think a pro bowler all of his seasons in the NFL. He goes out and sometimes it is kind of beautiful going out in a way that like people are like, no, but he could still play many great seasons. And it almost adds to your legacy, like Jim Brown, Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders, right? Yeah. And nobody had to, nobody's had to see the downfall. No. Tom Brady, man. Yeah. That's the thing. And like, which is funny with Tom Brady because he still played long enough to, to, yeah, I know. know. Um, But like Michael Jordan, the, like nobody remembers Michael Jordan with the Wizards because of how great he was, but he had to be he had to play at such an extreme level 
that nobody even remembers that we saw him at his lesser level. But that's always part of the legacy talk with Jordan, too. It's that if he didn't retire early the first, you know, time when he went to play baseball, it's like... How many titles does he have? What's the legacy now? Yeah, yeah right? that's true. Even yeah, you're absolutely right. He still did have. It just happened to be in the middle of, of of his prime, not not toward the end of his prime. So my third one goes in kind of conjunction with the Sean McVay part of this, though. That I I don't think Sean McVay is going to retire right now. I was actually watching NFL Network last night after the game, and he didn't directly answer it, but uh, he was asked about, "Are you going to retire now?" And he kind of gave like his first part of the question was like, "Oh no." And then he answered the rest of the question that wasn't answering that. So it wasn't like a definitive, but the way I took it was that he's not going to retire at least this year. But I will say this. My third overreaction, Sean McVay is going to follow the John Madden path. I'm not saying he's going to be John Madden. Um, Yeah. But John Madden only coached 10 years, retired when he was 42. Best winning percentage ever still, I think. And, you know, was a great coach. I think that's the case with Sean McVay. I think John McVay... While he won't, I don't think, retire this year, I do view him as a guy that's going to retire at some point earlier, and then I could see him getting into the TV game because think, he he's one of those guys that, like, during interviews, they'll go up and be like, hey, do you remember this play? Yeah. And he'll be like, yeah, we ran a Jet Y Pig X Razor on third and goal from the four-yard line and in they're, they're, four. they're safe. You went from right to left yes. pre-snap. Yeah, he So he's got that. a good understanding of the game. I don't know if that'd be interesting to hey, him. And and look, this is silly, but it matters. He's a good-looking guy. Yeah. You put him on TV. From L.A. and everything. Yeah. I, um, I could see that being the being the case. My next overreaction is that uh, Super Bowl surrounded by a bunch of star power. Not, I'm, I'm talking about outside the game, not football star power, like but celebrity power. Yeah completely ruins the game i i'll say this i wasn't watching i was on my way to your house and listening to kevin harlan but that's that the the rock and all that dude no and and maybe i sound like an idiot or or um you know what what's the word crow magnum man and i'm like (laughs) no just football none of this fancy you know i don't know but dude i don't need it i get there's I get there's going to always be pomp and circumstance surrounding the Super Bowl. That's always going to happen. But it was over the top last night. Football is worse with more pomp and circumstance. Yeah, I also, I, I think this goes into a, uh, another discussion about like the Super Bowl attendees and the Super Bowl attendance. The only people who go to the Super Bowl, it's celebrities, it's the, the, the same, wigs. They're the same people or who are the only ones that can afford the the suit, the all-you-can-eat sushi seats at the Yankees game. Yes. It, it, it just sucks. It sucks, man. Like, I get it. If, if those are the people who, you know, get the best seats or the 50-yard line or the club seats or the suites and everything, like, okay, that, that's understandable because that happens right. Like, what that's would a- be more of a party atmosphere? Like, Bills, like, think about what a party atmosphere Bills yeah. Chiefs was in Arrowhead. It's just not a real football atmosphere. Yeah. It's not. The conference championship, especially if you get great fan bases like the Chiefs or the Bills or the Packers um, or even the 49ers, even though they weren't at home in their conference championships, like, if you get those great fan bases, it's way more fun in the conference championship than in the Super Bowl. If you're gonna if you're gonna be a neutral observer, I would way rather be at a at a conference championship kind of fun atmosphere than than the Super Bowl. Would you dare go as far to say you'd like to see the Super Bowl at the home team or like at a home team, better record? No, because I I don't think weather should play a role okay. in. Um, I I I, w- I would be fine, honestly, man. Just have it in New Orleans every year is kind of my thought. 
Okay, uh, my last one quickly on this. Eric Bieniemy should have taken the Colorado job. He turned down the University of Colorado job and opted to stay with the Chiefs, hoping that he would eventually be a head coach in the NFL. Now it looks as if he's not even going to get retained by the Kansas City Chiefs as the offense coordinator. So they're having a meeting today, right? Him and yeah. Reed. Yeah, so we, he could be. I, I'm just saying there, there was. It seemed like the sentiment. But the was fact starting to it, it's stunning. Like if you would have said two years ago, it would be at a point. Not only is he not the head, uh, not only a, not a head coach, he's also not mm-hmm. coming. There's a chance he's not coming back to the Chiefs. That's crazy. Meanwhile, the guy who took the Colorado job, Mel Tucker, ended up going to Michigan State after and a year. He paid ninety five million dollars. Exactly. So that would have been a nice little path. All right, real quick, loser of the week, LSU. Now, Odell Beckham did win the game, but he also tore his ACL. And I think, you know, even more of the LSU children, I think a lot of LSU fans who maybe didn't have a rooting interest were probably more rooting for Cincinnati because Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are, A, they're newer to LSU, but also, B, they won them a national championship and and had one of the greatest seasons in college football history. So, LSU... Big loser. But again, you did get an Odell Beckham Super Bowl, so you at least got that. That's why you are the loser of the week. That is our NFL Monday overreactions with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Two hours down, one to go. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Sup? Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. And once again, big sports weekend. So much to talk about. KU scathes by Oklahoma. The Zach Clements game. Jalen Wilson, Christian Brown. Awesome. Super Bowl happened. And once again, when the big sports weekend happens, of course, KU has to play on Monday. Quick turnaround. Yeah. So we don't even have time to continue vamping on stuff. We just got to get into what's next. You know, what have you done for me lately? I guess. Um, And then we have the whole week just to talk about KU Oklahoma State. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, KU does play Oklahoma State tonight. We saw them play in Stillwater. That was the Big 12 opener. It was supposed to be TCU, but that game got pushed because TCU had some, um, I guess, uh, COVID issues in the Mm -hmm, program that mm -hmm. pushed back the game. And that was the game that most notably KU missed 19 straight shots, 20 straight shots, whatever it was, in that game at the end of the first half. Ended up tied. And then KU kind of pulled away there in the second half. And then when it felt like KU had had won it for sure, I think it was 15, 20-point game with three, four minutes left, all of a sudden they just could not handle the press of Oklahoma State. Started turning it over. and It looked ugly. And that has been kind of a precursor for some other games with them losing leads late or not being able to close as, as strong as possible. Oklahoma State, same team in a lot of ways that they were when KU last played them. Bad offense, really good defense. And, and the defense is really good because – They force a lot of turnovers, which constant with all these Big 12 teams. They also have a really good shot blocker inside, but KU was able to get uh, Musa Cisse in foul trouble, and David McCormick had that great game that he was kind of able to bury him. Came off the bench. Yeah. That was his first game off the bench. 17 and 15 or something like that. Um, But they do force a lot of turnovers. They defend the paint well. They have that shot blocker inside. Just a really good defense overall, and for KU team that has had turnover issues, that's always scary. 
The thing is... They have trouble scoring. Yes. The offense is not good. Like, even despite KU missing those 19 straight shots when they played in Stillwater, it was still, what, tied at halftime? That sounds right. I think 30, I mean, I think 30 to 30. If you were to go into a game and say we are going to miss something. basically 20 straight shots, you would think, you know, we should probably be winning that half. But they were not because the offense is not good. It's an opportunity for the KU defense to get back on track. They they had a nice little run of play. The Baylor game comes to mind. And then they kind of fell off a little bit against Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma got whatever they wanted with easy drives to the lane, two-point shots. Tanner Groves was getting wide open on picking pops and hitting threes. Um, Oklahoma State's offense is not good. And I will say they've been closer to middle of the pack in conference-only play, whereas in... Overall, they've, they've been a little bit worse, but really the only thing they do well on the offensive end of the court is they get offensive rebounds and they get to the free throw line. And we have seen KU give up certain games like the Texas game or the Kentucky game where the other team being really good at getting offensive rebounds has allowed them to have a really good performance, but they don't shoot well. They don't turn, they, they turn it over too much which, again, has been a weakness of KU, so we'll see if they can turn them over a little bit more. They're just not efficient on the offensive end at all. Yeah, if you're if you're playing a team that is typically good offensively and you are bad offensively, the way to do it is to get turnovers and get offensive rebounds, and that, that um, adds possessions for you. Um, and they see, you know, they, they see they're good at what one of those things, right, but not necessarily the other. Um this could be a, a fun night, you know. I we'll we'll find out how much of you know Dave McCormick, how much of his dominance in that first game was related to being benched versus uh, it being matchup oriented. Because if he dominates again tonight, he probably was somewhat of a matchup mm-hmm. um, problem for them. Which if that's the case, great. Um, I'm trying to think of how everybody else did. Was that was. That was a four-point. We just talked about that earlier. That was a four-point Jalen Wilson. Yeah, game, you're going to expect more from Jalen. You would this think time. you'd probably yeah. get you know twelve or fourteen. You would hope. Yeah. The one thing that that could slow him down, though, I I do think for sure more than four is the fact that they are good at defending twos and Musa Cisse is a good shot blocker. That if Dave is unable to be occupied enough by Cisse, like part of the reason Jalen's been so darn good. He's been electric in transition, and he's been great at driving and finishing inside. I mean, his two-point percentage in coverage plays off the charts. It's going to be a little tougher tonight with a with a good shot blocker. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But you still, to the point, you expect more than the question. That becomes a, a that becomes a thing in which because their shot blocker will be guarding Dave, right? Yeah, I I would think so. So that would think if if you can successfully drive. What you do then is if you can successfully force him off of Dave, that would leave Dave theoretically open for a field goal if he's coming down and and getting off his man to go for the block or if he doesn't come off Dave you have you have a, a drive or if Dave can do a successful job sealing you know so you still have options there yeah but I, I do think oh, so here's one thing Oklahoma State while they're a really good offensive rebounding team and, and so KU has to do a good job of cleaning up the glass we see the counter to that, where if KU does do a good job of cleaning up the glass, that means transition opportunities. Mm-hmm. And as good as Oklahoma State is defensively, if you're getting transition opportunities with this team as good as they've been in transition, good night. Like, that's lights yeah, out. Yeah, that's been the I name. I mean, they put up 45 against Oklahoma State in the second half last time. Yeah, that's been the name of their, their game all year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, 
you know they've been they've been fine offensively on the the in the in the half court, but they they've been fantastic. Like there's an argument to be made that if they were able and look this this is, I mean you know, this goes you give credit to the other teams for preventing fast break opportunities, and they've been you know not every team is going to give you those, but just based purely on their fast break offense, they may be the best offense in the country. Now they can't do what Gonzaga can do in the half court, which is why they're I think are they still third on Ken Palm offensively. Um, so that's why they're not the best offense in the country, but purely from a, um, and I think the big difference there is what Christian Brown brings. He's fast, so he can score on his own in the fast break, but he can also pass. If, so if you've got a two, if you've got a three on two, good night. Cause, cause you've got three guys who can pass in the fast break offense and three guys who could score in the fast break offense. Yeah, Christian played really well against Oklahoma State last time. 15 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 5-11 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3. Jalen, I forgot about this. He just had the two points on 1 of 6, but he had 15 rebounds. Then McCormick had 17 and 15 off the bench. Uh, Mitch was a starter, 6 points, 4 rebounds, 4 blocks. He was solid. Um, Dewan Harris had that crazy steal. Remember that yep, Bill the, Self the said off, was yeah, off the, all one of the best plays we've seen. Wasn't touching the ground, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I the way I view it, KU, if they can just battle on the defensive glass, they're going to be able to score there in transition. And the way Oklahoma State can't score, that should be enough on its own. But if you don't do a good job on the defensive glass, then this probably ends up being a closer game than it should. But, ten and a half is the right, you think? I mean, I know that yeah, that's, what it, that's what it is. I know yeah. that's what it is. Palm, I think, do, has 12. Do, do you think that's correct? I think that's a correct line. Or um, you leaning? Well, if you told me KU's going to have a good defensive rebounding game, I would I would well, take KU. Yeah, obviously, but you don't. But I, <laughs> I don't part know of, that. That's part right? of picking a game. So I would you probably, don't know how it'll go. I, I said this last week, and I'll kind of just stick to it. Basically, any game in the Big 12, you give me 10.5 points, I'm just going to take the points. It's, There's it's so many affair. games are close. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I have KU winning, but I just 10.5 is a lot in this conference. Um, Oklahoma State's not a good defensive rebounding team. As good of an offensive rebounding team as they are, like that—that's the other avenue of success for for KU in this one. Of those fifteen rebounds for Dave uh, that he had the first meeting, seven of them were on the offensive glass. Jalen had four. KU had seventeen offensive rebounds. I wonder why that is. Oklahoma State had twenty-two defensive rebounds. Why? Why on earth would that? Well, a lot of their big men are. I, I saw Jesse Newell wrote I'm, about I'm... this in his quick scout. A lot of the uh, Oklahoma State big men are like springy athletes, and that's what gets you offensive rebounds. It's athleticism and hustle, right? Offensive rebounds, it's about, you know, getting the athleticism, working around a box out, jumping up really high. Defensive rebounds isn't really the case that way. It's more of positioning, strength, getting in the right spot, right? And so I think when you have a roster like that, it's just built for one more than the other. Or, Or you work on one more than the other. Yeah, it could be. Hmm. I don't know. My my biggest thought. I, I don't know. I I've thought for a long time, and and this might be, um, you know, ridiculous, and maybe I sound like an idiot, but I, I part of me wonders. I think a lot of times uh, when a team is really good at an offensive rebounding, is because that they have an offense where you have more guys that don't necessarily expect to shoot it, so their only focus is an offensive rebound. That a lot of times. A lot of big men aren't in position to go get an offensive rebound because there's also a good chance 
up until a shot is put up, there's still a good chance that that big man is the guy putting that shot up. Whereas I, I don't know this about Oklahoma State, but I think with a lot of teams, the reason some of the other players can get in position to make an offensive rebound is because that is their focus. Their focus isn't, I need to get the ball and score. Their, their offense is more built around small smaller number of people. So you can you can go, well, I'm, you know, I'm rarely the one getting the ball to put the shot up, so it's my job to go get in position. Well, it makes a lot of sense because Oklahoma State's bad at shooting. They're only shooting 30% from three this year. They don't have anybody above 34% individually. So that makes sense. You're just kind of expecting that, and you're also, um, like in the case of Musa Cisse, like I said, great shot blocker, good offensive rebounder. He's not a guy you're going to throw the ball the ball to on the block and, and let him go to work. That, that's just not his game. So uh, from that standpoint, yes, I, I agree with you. That's probably a big part of the identity. But it, It's almost like they have to be a good offensive rebounding team because if they're not, it's one less way to score. By the way, have you seen the, the uniforms for, for the game that KU is going to be wearing today? No. So they're celebrating. Is that the- what our buddy just tweeted out and our college friend? We- well, I, I just have this up on, on my computer. Um, I think our buddy Alec just tweeted that out. Okay. Um, I haven't seen the text yet. Yeah, so the KU men's uh, Twitter account tweeted this out, the the men's basketball. Um, it's a video with, with the, the jerseys, and, and KU is going to be celebrating the 100th anniversary of the 1922 Helms title, which, you know, we were going to get some some interviews but obviously we couldn't is that joke poor taste maybe um i mean i don't know a lot of them are probably <laughs> buried over in the cemetery over yeah. there so. um they're black and white huh because in 1922 everything was black and white as we've seen on tv yeah yeah right yeah. that's why we nobody's that. that's why nobody's smiling in the pictures <laughs> yeah. they're so mad the color hadn't been yeah. invented yet so it's like the jerseys are are white the Kansas and the numbers, I like the font of it, but they're like gray. And then the, the shorts are gray. Not in love with this look. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I didn't love it either. Um, now, yeah, I could do without, you know, um, like Gary- Still, they're, they're not as bad as the, um, the, the. 2013 made in March Adidas ones oh, that look gosh. like Zubas pants. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Gary Patterson, he's famous for this. And there's other coaches that have done this too, but former TCU coach, they would like get down at halftime and he would like change his shirt. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, would that ever happen with like a team? Happen in the second Mighty Ducks. Well, <laughs> like, would it ever happen in like a, like real college sports or like pro? Where a team was like down fifteen, uh, we got to change. I don't know if they're up. allowed to. You think so? You can't have white versus white. No, but if you had like a different alternate, right? Yeah, you could. You in that situation, like KU could come out in their, you know, their blues, or or if they if it's on the road, they come out in their blues, and it ain't working for them. They then come out in their reds. I don't know. I don't like those though. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to put a pick on record here for the game? Um, like you said, it was ten and a half. What was the I, score last time? It would have covered by half a point. Seventy four sixty three was the final score. I was kind of leading for some reason. Seventy two fifty five popped into my head, which is seventeen is so damn much in this league, man. Um, so I, I'm still saying low seventies for KU to upper fifties, lower sixties for Oklahoma State. 
So you're taking KU? Uh, I'm picking KU to win. That is a lot. No, I I I made the I made this mistake, and maybe if I go opposite, they'll wind up doing it. I I picked them to cover against Oklahoma. That I I think I learned my lesson. That's such a huge number. I'll take KU, but I'll take the the, the points for Oklahoma State. Yeah, the game in Stillwater, KU is favored by six and a half. This one's ten and a half. Over unders one forty three. Okay. Like I said, I'm taking Oklahoma State with the points just because I. That's just a lot in the Big 12. Yeah. I think over-under-wise, it might be too much just because of Oklahoma State. Because here's the thing, like, I view this as a if game get, where... I, I was going to... When you said 143, my thought was for this thing to get to 143, it's going to be like an 80 to 60 kind of thing. Which yeah, would but even clearly, that doesn't get it. I know, which, but the, like something in the 80s versus something in the 60s is KU what I meant. Pull the in which yeah. case, they would, they, they would, they would beat the, the 10. Or ten and a half. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Your best avenue for the over is KU covering the spread. So if you think it's going to be over, take the KU spread. If you think it's going to be the under, then probably take Oklahoma State. And I think that's where I'm at. Okay, uh, let's do our Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.